Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. I ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. We will be in Daniel chapter 10, as we have been in our 12-week adventure in the book of Daniel. I want to thank the school and the choir uh, for a glimpse of heaven. Can you imagine what it's going to be when the redeemed of all eternity are singing the praises of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It's going to be a wonderful day. And the thing I love about music is that music in itself is not just music. Music is also a form of prayer. And when we sing to our Lord, it's as if we are praying to our Lord. So we are in Daniel chapter 10. We have gone through the previous nine chapters. And we are concluding here in the next two weeks. As people settle down, we are in Daniel chapter 10. And Daniel chapter 10 is the opening of the last prophetic vision that Daniel has, which is found in Daniel 11 and 12. Actually, Daniel's 10, 11, and 12 go together. And Daniel chapter 10 is the opening of the prophetic vision found in chapter 11 and 12. But unfortunately, what a lot of people do is that they want to rush to the prophecy in Daniel 11 and 12 and miss the blessing that is found in Daniel chapter 10. Let's not miss the blessing that is found in Daniel chapter 10. But before we dive into Daniel chapter 10, let's look at quickly of the prophecies that we have already seen in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, we see that the king was shown a great statue. And that statue showed us in bird's eye view the the march of history from Babylon all the way to the second coming. Babylon was the head of gold. Then Medes and the Persians were next. Then Greece, then Rome, then divided Europe. And then the rock that destroyed all of it, the kingdom that you and I are awaiting. But in Daniel chapter 2, it was purely political. Nothing religious was mentioned And God gave this pagan king the dream in order that he may begin to win his heart for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we saw that in Daniel chapter 4, where this pagan king finally surrendered to God. In Daniel chapter 7, one of my favorite chapters in all of prophecy, we learned that there is uh, investigative judgment before the second coming of Christ. But we learn that we have nothing to fear because God stands, Jesus stands in my place. He is my witness. He is my lawyer. He is the judge. And I have nothing to fear because with him, I already have the victory in that courtroom drama. But we did learn there is a religious political power that is opposing God. Who is making war against the saints of God. Who tries to change the law of God. But what we learned in that chapter. Is that the judgment is in favor of the saints. And brothers and sisters. That's you and me. 
There is nothing to fear when Jesus stands in my place. He is my witness. He is my judge. He is my lawyer. And he has ruled in our favor. In Daniel chapter 8, Ken taught us two particular things. He pointed out who the beast is, which is with us till this day, papal Rome. But what jumped out at me in Daniel chapter 8 was the fact that that which the beast tries to attack is forever present in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He is continuously interceding on your behalf and my behalf. And no matter how down we may get, or no matter how high we may get, Jesus is continually before the throne of Christ. I mean, before the throne of the Father, pleading on our behalf. If we mess up, the blood of the Lamb is there to cover us. If we are riding high, it's because of the blood of the Lamb. Daniel chapter 8 taught us that Jesus is continually interceding on our behalf. But there was a question that left Daniel perplexed. What about these 2,300 days? And so we jumped to Daniel chapter 9 where Ken once again blessed us with the reality of this timeline. From the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the sanctuary is cleansed, we know prophetically it's 2,300 years. But the beauty of Daniel chapter 9 is not so much the prophecy, but the prayer. The prayer that Daniel interceded for his people, including himself. And the answer to that prayer was the reality that the Messiah would come. And that he would die for your sins. And he would die for my sins. But in dying for the sins of the world, we are guaranteed that the judgment will take place and that He will come again to take us home. And what we learn now going into Daniel chapter 10 is that God answers prayers. Amen? Amen. In Daniel chapter 2, He answered the prayers to reveal the dream. In Daniel chapter 9, No, in Daniel chapter 6, he answered the prayer and Daniel was spared from the lion's den. In Daniel chapter 9, we were given the timeline of prophecy answered. God sent his most coveted angel, Gabriel, to answer Daniel's prayer. And we'll learn that in Daniel chapter 10, he sends Jesus himself to answer the prayer of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 says this. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Listen to this. Verse 1 is very key. A message was revealed to Daniel. Who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true. And one of great conflict. But he understood the message. And had understanding of the vision. So this is not a previous vision. Like in Daniel chapter 8. Where he was left without understanding and needed clarification in Daniel chapter 9. He understood this vision. But the fact that he understood this vision led him into mourning for three entire weeks. How bad was this vision? What did Daniel see? 
that it led them to mourning and prayer and fasting for three entire weeks. If you want to know what Daniel saw, you're going to have to come back next week. But Daniel chapter 10, nevertheless, has an important lesson for us. Verse 2 through 4, In those days I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was yet in the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen. And we'll get to that man. But look up, look. When was the last time you fasted for three weeks or denied yourself something in order to find the word of the Lord? Daniel knew that there was something of great conflict, like verse 1 tells us, that was taking place during this time. And the only way to get past this great conflict was to spend his time seeking for the will of God. How many, I want to speak to the women here for a second, men will understand, but I speak to the women. When you're trying to get pregnant, those of you who are mothers, and you get that news that finally you are pregnant, what is the feeling? It is rejoice. It is, it is joy that you know that it's life is growing inside of you. But then throughout the pregnancy, you understand that there will be great conflict coming later on. And yet you still rejoice. And yet you still look forward to it. Labor is not easy. I delivered my three daughters. And what my wife went through, you women are blessed. You women are strong. To go through pregnancy, to go through birth, but at the end of the pain, there is always the joy I see on my wife's face when she is holding that baby girl. Amen. And so Daniel is not mourning for these three weeks only because there will be great conflict. Daniel is praying hard because he knows if this prophecy is fulfilled, there is joy at the end of this prophecy. Jesus will die for your sins and Jesus will come back again at the end of the cleansing of the sanctuary. So it's not just pain and suffering. Daniel can see. He understood the vision. He understood now Daniel chapter 9. He understood that Jesus was going to come die for your sins. But at the end, at the very end, we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Amen. And the prophecy is unconditional. Except there is a condition. What? The prophecy is unconditional. Yet there was a condition. How could that be? In Daniel chapter 9. 
after 489 weeks, the Messiah would come. And in the middle of the week, He would die for your sins and my sins. Then, fast forward to the end of the 2,300 days, the investigative judgment, the pre-advent judgment would begin. And sometime after that, Jesus would come back in glory. All of that is unconditional. The 489, the middle of the week Jesus would die. At 2,300 days, the sanctuary will be cleansed. The pre-advent judgment would start. So where is the condition? The condition is found here in Daniel chapter 10. When you know what's going on in Daniel chapter 9. Because what initiated the timeline? Turn with me to Daniel chapter 9 real quick. Verse 24. We'll start there. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25 is our key. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. So what's the conditional part? This decree had to be issued. The timeline does not begin Unless the decree is issued. And what we see happening in Daniel chapter 10. Is that there is a battle over the mind of Cyrus. To issue the decree. Cyrus was prophesied by the word of the Lord. That he will destroy Babylon. Cyrus was prophesied that he will issue the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. But our God is a God of freedom of the will and he will not force even the mind of Cyrus. And he will not force your mind or my mind to follow him. And so for three weeks Cyrus is waffling between issuing the decree or not issuing the decree. And you can find the conflict in Ezra chapter 7. We're not going to go there. But he is waffling in his mind. Do I issue this decree or not? Because if the decree is not issued, the timeline that is unconditional cannot begin. And so I ask you, What battles are you fighting in your mind at the moment? Do I date her? Do I marry him? Do I return tithe or pay rent? Do I keep the Sabbath or work on the Sabbath? Do I go to this secular party college or do I go to one of our own colleges? 
Doesn't mean you always have to go to one of our own colleges, but do you know in your spirit that you can handle being in Babylon University and come out faithful like Daniel and his three friends? These battles that go in our minds, we at times think there are independent battles between me and the Lord. But know this, that if you're ever trying to make a decision for the Lord, there is somebody else whispering thoughts in your mind. Cyrus was wanting to do the will of God, but the prince of Persia, well, let's look at it. Look at verse 14. No, sorry, 13. Well, let's start at 12. <laughs> then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel. And Jesus tells us as well, for every hard decision you have to make, do not be afraid. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to days yet future. What was the key for Daniel's prayer to be answered? He has settled in his heart and he humbled himself that he was going to follow God no matter what. And so when we have tough decisions to make, the toughest decisions people will have to make, young people will have to make, is who do I marry? Because the worst thing you could do is to be, listen to me, the worst thing you could do is pick the wrong spouse. To be in what a friend of mine said, to be in a living divorce. Loving each other enough to stay together, but not loving God enough to worship together. I had a friend of mine who was in a living divorce. Said every time I try to instill the faith that we know in our kids, she purposely plans events that the kids would like, and then they don't want to go to church on Sabbath. A living divorce. Where you're not together in worshiping the Lord Almighty. Daniel understood the vision. He understood what was coming. He understood that God's people would be persecuted. He knew that God's people would be hunted down and martyred. But just like Jesus Christ, he understood that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he saw you and me in eternity with him for the price that he would have to pay. Daniel understood the vision, but he also understood the Messiah was coming and there will be an end to sin. But here is this angel fighting for 21 days 
not physically, but over the mind of Cyrus, to issue the decree to start the timeline. Now we know that this was not just Cyrus in theory. Because in the book of Kings 1930, 1935, 2 Kings 1935, we know that one angel in one night killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army. So there is no human person that can withstand an angel. One night, 185 died. At the beckoning of a destroying angel. Also, Cyrus is never called a prince in all of Scripture. But you know who is called the prince in Scripture? Satan is. The prince of this world. I love when Jesus says in the gospel, the prince of this world is coming and he has nothing on me. Because he was spotless and sinless. And guess what? The prince of this world is coming and he has everything on me. But I have Jesus Christ declared. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has everything on me. He knows every sin he's made me commit. But by the grace of God, we have the blood of Jesus Christ. For 21 days, Satan was... Twisting and tempting and provoking and manipulating and trying to get Cyrus not to obey the word of God. And so Jesus couldn't use force. God couldn't use force. I remember years ago, a friend of mine, her parents told her, don't marry her sister told him, he hit on me while you were on vacation a couple of times. Don't marry him. Her friends told him, don't marry him. Guess what she did? She married him. Guess what she found out five years later? That he had another family with kids somewhere else. Why did she marry him? Because in our, her mind, she could only see with her feelings. But we're called to live by faith and not by sight. See, because Cyrus wanted, no doubt, like any earthly kingdom, to preserve his kingdom. But he knew the prophecies. He knew Greece was coming next eventually. But he also wanted to be faithful to the prophecies he had been prophesied. Did you know that there's only one other person outside of Jesus Christ called my anointed? And that is Cyrus in the book of Isaiah. My anointed to do my will. And I love it in Isaiah because Jesus or God says... You are my anointed, and I have called you. Listen. And this is why I know that no matter 
whether you follow God or not, that no one is out of the realm and reaches of God. Because in Isaiah, he says, you're my anointed. I have appointed you so, even though you do not know me. Cyrus didn't know the God of heaven, but he would eventually. Your friends may not know the God that you worship, but by the grace of God through your testimony, they will eventually. Whether in times of peace or in times of trouble, God's will will be done. So what are you struggling in your mind? I know in times of trouble, I've been through it. That I'm tempted to think, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? And I use those words because sometimes people think, oh, we're human. But that was, and Jesus was fully human. But that was our Lord and Savior who said those words. He felt the anguish and the separation from his father. He feels and knows the anguish you go when a wayward child is leaving or a wayward spouse is leaving or when you have had loss of a loved one or a job or of a child. As a matter of fact, this past Saturday was a four-year anniversary that I lost my father. And to tell you the truth, I had forgotten. And then I opened Facebook Memories. And there it was. And I was glad I wasn't preaching last week because as the, I was driving down, I began to weep. And just yesterday, I was having a conversation with my friend Mikey and Abel. I mean, and Danny. We all lost our father in the month of October in separate years. And in those moments, you're tempted to think sometimes... Where is God when my dad was suffering from Alzheimer's disease? But that's just feelings. When I gathered myself, I finally realized the truth, just like Jesus. He will never leave me nor forsake. Because of the prophecies of Daniel 9 and 10, I know I will see my father again in that great morning. Mikey will see his father again in that great morning. Danny will see his mother again in that great morning. Nothing has the final word until our God speaks. For 21 days, they were wrestling over the mind of Cyrus. What are you wrestling about? Do I date her? Do I date him? You know, I had a dream. I don't know if I should say this. But oh well, here goes. I had a dream that the Lord said, so this is, you know, let me back up here for a second. You know you have those dreams that you know you're dreaming, right? Like you're walking in air and you're flying. Yeah, you know you're dreaming. 
Then you have those dreams where you believe it's like actually happening. And the worst kind of those dreams as a parent of three daughters is when you lose a child. And, and I, I've woken up several times thinking I have lost one of those children. And it's always, what is Laurie going to do to me? A couple of weeks ago, or months ago, I don't even know, I had a dream that the Lord said, play the lottery. I guarantee you're going to win. <laughs> and I played. And I won. It was one of these billion dollar jackpots. And then I woke up. <laughs> Hold on, though. Here's the lesson. I remember waking up and thinking to myself, how could you believe that was the word of the Lord when he will never ask you to sin? See, and that's the battle. That's the battles we face. Oh, you know, one shot of weed won't be bad. One sniff of that drug won't be bad. Dating this guy who is not of my faith won't be bad. Marrying him, he will change. Or marrying her, he will change. When we let the feelings take over, we know that we're not standing on the rock of Jesus Christ. When we are battling the feelings, that's when we have to get on our knees, even if it is for 21 days, and say, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you may lead. And even if it costs me that relationship, that job, that promotion, whether it costs me my life, I want to remain faithful to you. So what are you struggling with? 21 days. See what Daniel chapter 10 tells us. Is that there is a great controversy taking place. There is a great conflict. And many times we want to think that it's taking place in Ukraine. Or it's going to be one major war. Or it's going to be the war that ends all war. The battle is taking place in your mind. Every day that you are alive. There's only one answer. The Word of God. His literal Word and the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. The, conf the conflict in Ukraine is nothing. The conflict in Ukraine is nothing. The battles that we face in cultural battles, in political battles, are not the real battles. They are the distraction for the real battle that is taking place for your heart. The most worthy and most valuable thing in the universe is not all the silver and gold, it's not all the stocks, it's not all the power, but it is your heart. Who has your heart? To whom are you going to surrender your heart? It's easy to surrender your heart in the good times. It's easy to surrender your mind when everything is going good. It's easy to surrender everything when everything is marching well. 
But can you surrender your mind? Like Cyrus, when they know your kingdom will be taken from you. Are you willing to give up your spouse? Your children? Pastor, your spouse and children? Jesus said, he who loves mother or father or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See, because the best thing you could do is surrender your life to Christ. To surrender your mind to Him. Because if you do, and your family and the world forsakes you, you don't know that your example can be the turning point that they really needed to surrender their life to Christ. You don't know how many stories I have heard of women who have been threatened by their husband that if you get baptized, I will kill you or leave you. Only to have their husbands baptized and surrender to Christ because they saw how committed they were to the life of Jesus Christ. The only victory in this world is gained through surrendering to Jesus. Daniel twice in Daniel chapter 10 is called beloved. But Daniel in microcosm is you and I. Every time you pray, you are beloved to God. He gave the whole world just for you. If you were the only sinner, He would have come just for you. He would have suffered the cross just for you. But it's not going to be easy. Because we have Him, the enemy, whispering in our minds. You have Jesus, love, drawing you to Him. But neither can force you to act. You have to surrender. And if it means getting on your knees for 21 days, then make it 28 or 35 or just say in your mind Lord whatever it takes we keep coming back to that theme don't we whatever it takes Lord draw me all the way home because nothing in this world is worth me losing eternal life. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.